Hey, what's up? My name is Steven and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Today, let's get into week three of Inspired. Um, hopefully, over the last couple of weeks, you have seen the Word of God a little bit differently. You've been challenged to dig into the inspired Word of God, that these aren't just uh, words on a page, that this is um, the breath of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says that the Scripture is God-breathed, even though it was written by over 40 people. Um, over the course of 1,600 years, it tells the same story from beginning to end that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God has worked to redeem us and buy us back to restore a relationship with Him. And understanding how it is laid out helps us to grow in the word. And over the next two or three weeks, I want to give you some very practical things um, to help you stock your pantry, build your foundation. Uh, but today I want to start with really probably what's the most important, and, and that's the heart and the attitude in which we um, approach God's word. Because we can have all the tools and, and we can have all the knowledge, but if the heart's not right and the attitude's not right, the tools and the knowledge and the plans really don't help a whole lot. And so we're going to look at this, at this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Jesus has just finished up the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew, if you remember from last week, Matthew really focuses on Jesus' teachings as the um, coming Messiah, the coming King. And the first several chapters of Matthew, we don't see a lot of description and detail about Jesus's miracles, but Matthew goes into great detail with his first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, where we get the Beatitudes and the Golden Rule. And, you know, you have heard it said, but now I say unto you. So he's going through all this teaching. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he makes... Uh, this declaration and kind of really makes this challenge more so for the people who are listening to the disciples and also the crowds. He says in verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is what? Is wise. Anyone who listens and follows, so you can't just listen, you have to listen and follow. That is a wise person, like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Other translations say a solid foundation, a solid rock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against it the house will collapse with a mighty crash two people were faced with the exact same storm 
And it really doesn't say that if the storm comes, but the story says that when the storm comes. And so these two houses, probably if you think about, like one of the things that, you know, moving to Murfreesboro and you go into these subdivisions and like the, the subdivision that we live in, like all the houses look the same with just a few tweaks here and there. And so a lot of the houses look the same. Um, and probably so as Jesus is describing this, the people listening to it are, are, are thinking about all the houses look the same, except there's one thing that is different. It's not what's on the outside, but really it's what's on the inside. The difference wasn't something that was visible to the eye. The difference between the two houses is what was beneath the surface. And it, was, it is what is beneath the surface that determines the strength of the house. And, and I read this quote about um, looking at houses' uh, foundations. It says, the foundation is built before the house. And so think about those of you who have built a house, building a house. I know some of you are like, I couldn't imagine. That's, that's a lot of decisions to have to make. And that terrifies me just to think about it, right? But before you start building the stuff that you want to see and the people are going to see, you have to build the foundation first. And it is built under the house. It's not glamorous and it's not decorative. In West Tennessee, when you built a house foundation, it was a crawl space. And so I remember when, when my parents built the house, we would have to go out and after they poured the foundation and, and built up kind of all the little, um, uh, what are they called, columns underneath, we had to go through and take up all the sticks and we had to put plastic down and put sand down to get it ready. But then I come to Middle Tennessee and everything's like a slab foundation, right? And so there's nothing like fancy about it. It's just poured concrete and it's just cinder block. Um, it's unseen, it's unnoticed, and it's underappreciated until the storm comes. You don't really think about it, you don't really appreciate it until the storm comes, and when the storm comes, the foundation holds the house in place. And when you think about that in accordance to God's word, it is God's word that is a foundation in our life that holds our life in place when the storm comes. And, you know, if you think about this in relation to people's lives, we probably all know someone whose life experience um, came with storms. And we know people who have weathered some you know, incredible storms of death in the families, cancers, divorce, you know, um, issues and broken relationships with, with children, but we see their life do one of two things. It either crumbles or it withstands. And from my experience in pastoring, the most of the people whose life stands through those storms, it's the ones whose life is built on the foundation of the word of God. And, and if you think about tornadoes that come through, anybody ever like lived through a tornado, experienced a tornado? Anyone? A few, a few. Um, the first one I experienced, I was in sixth grade. This was like back in 1991. Some of you weren't even close to being born then. <laughs> and, and, and what I'm finding out is like those that weren't born are older. Like it used to be just the 15-year-olds weren't born in 91. Um, but now it's like the 30-year-olds weren't born. And I was like, I don't, I don't get this, Lord. Um, but I remember in sixth grade when the tornado came through and we had just built our house and maybe a year and a half in, um, we were leaving Piggly Wiggly, which was the grocery store in our town. Um, one, we had one grocery store, Piggly Wiggly. I wound up sacking groceries there as a 16-year-old. But I remember leaving. We were just going for milk and stepping outside, and it was like a hot August day, and the 
the heat just took my breath away. And as we're driving through town, all the lights, like we're driving home and I see the lights go out at the Napa store, at Sonic, and just going home and all these lights start going out. And so we get home and our lights are out. And my dad had been painting furniture in the basement. Thankfully, we had a basement. And so we just hung out downstairs in the basement and he had these these lamps that were battery powered and he was painting some furniture and we're sitting there and we get a phone call from my uncle who lived across town that there was a tornado coming through. And as he's saying that, the phone goes dead and the roof of the basement lifts up. Like, Like we're in the basement and I see the roof of the basement, which guess what is the floor of my house, right? Lift up and go back down. And my dad says, get in the closet. It's got us. And so we get in the closet and I'm in sixth grade. I don't know what to pray. So I'm just, I just keep saying over and over and over, our father who art in heaven. Like, I, don't, like, I just keep saying that over because like, I know you're up there, be down here. And so we're in there what seems like an eternity, and we finally come out and I'm expecting to go up the stairs and just see like daylight. But we go upstairs and our house is still standing. Now the crazy thing is, is like all the windows are blown out and this is how crazy tornadoes are, guys. Like, like my, my mom was, was real big into antiques and so we had this antique table in front of a window that had a lamp and some knickknacks on it that we couldn't touch, right? We could just look at. And the glass was blown out of the window, shards of glass in the wall on the other side of the room, but the lamp is still there. The knickknacks are still there and the table is still standing. I don't, I don't get it, <laughs> right? But our house was still standing. Even though the floor of the house lifted up and came back down, the foundation held it together, right? And some of us in life, we go through storms that it feels like our floor is just being ripped out from under us. But when we build it on the rock, we sing about honey in the rock. There's also like stability. There's peace. There's safety in the rock. And so one of my hugest goals in this series is to help us get to a place to where our life is built on a foundation that is stronger than the storms. And when we don't have a foundation that's built strong, that's where we see problems in relationships. That's where we see problems in finances. We see problems in in just moving forward in life because it's built on the wrong foundation. And so what are some of the benefits of building our house, our life on the foundation of God's word, building on God's word? When I think about it, it brings really four things into our life that that strengthens our house, our life. And one of them is, is voice recognition is voice recognition because Jesus says this, that he, he, says, he says after he gathered his own flock in John 10, 4, he says he walks ahead of them and they follow him talking about the sheep because they know his voice. Guys, if we wanna know the voice of God, we have to read the voice of God. We have to read the word of God. And the more time we spend in the word of God, the easier it's gonna be to recognize the voice of God in our spirit. But then also the more time that we spend reading in God's word, the easier it's going to be for us to recognize when God is speaking through his word. And it's so funny, like as, you know, as you're a parent, there can be a, a room full of screaming kids, but you've heard your child's voice enough, you can recognize it. And it's the same with our children. There can be all kinds of adults in the room, 
But when a parent speaks, the child recognizes that voice. Now, granted, they may not always listen, right? But they recognize the voice. But it's the same way with us. We have a responsibility to grow in recognizing God's, God's voice. And so building on God's word, spending time in his word builds voice recognition to him. It, it, it helps us with wise decisions. Um, Matthew seven twenty four. we just read, it says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And, and this is what we have to understand about God's wisdom. And he says this in Isaiah. He says, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. He says, in fact, that my ways are what, church? Higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, which means his wisdom is greater than our wisdom. And in order for us to understand and comprehend and know and recognize God's wisdom, we have to spend time in his word processing and praying through it. Um, it also brings inner strength. Psalm 1839 says, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You equipped me with strength for the battle. And then we know in Ephesians that Paul says to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so God's word builds this eternal strength in us, oftentimes without us realizing it, right? I know a lot of times after you finish like doing a weight session, your muscles are all swollen. And that's when most of those Instagram pictures are taken, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, if you're looking you know, through that, it's like, oh, they're just so jacked. No, that, that is just, they just finished working out and now their muscles are all full of blood, right? Can we just understand that? God's word is working in us and strengthening us even when we don't realize it. It's moving and strengthening our spirit even when we don't realize it. And, and, and I got to thinking about this, like, like we wanna be strong. Who in here wants to be strong? right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, like we all want to be strong. And when you think about getting stronger, what happens is you don't get the strength when you need it. You don't get the strength when you need it. You build the strength when you don't need it for when you do need it, right? In that moment, like if you're just lifting, like if you're bench pressing, like you really don't need the strength right there. But what you're doing is you're building that strength in that moment for when you do need it in the future. And you may be spending time reading your word and trying to get through the Bible reading plan. It's just dry. I'm just trying to get it done. You may not be receiving the strength right there in that moment and feel it. But six months from now, you are now strengthened by God's word, by something that you read that the Holy Spirit, because Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you and he will remind you of everything that I've said. So you put that verse on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit reminds you about it in this season when you read it over there, you have strength for here because you acquired it over there. Building on God's word as a foundation builds inner strength and then also a fruitful life. Jesus says in John 15, he says, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce, two words, what is it? Much fruit, much fruit, not just some, not just a little, not just fruit, but Jesus says, look, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you abide, you rest in, you settle in my words and allow my words to settle in you, you will produce much fruit, not just a bag of oranges, not just, not, not just a little fruit, 
but much fruit. And so when it comes to like fruit cultivation and growing this for the next two to three weeks, next week we'll talk about like, we talk about quiet times and devotion times. And for some of us, we've been doing it for a while and we've got it down pat. But for some of us, maybe we've had a hard, uh, hard time building that rhythm into our life. And so the next two weeks, we'll talk about how do we create that? How do we remove distractions? Where do we start? What are the resources? But today, I really want to talk about the attitude in the heart. Because if the heart's not prepared to receive God's word, um, and, and the heart isn't working in tandem with the Holy Spirit, then we're just reading. There's not a transformation that can take place. We have to partner with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus gives this parable in Matthew chapter 13. Um, and this is really the first parable that he gives. Jesus tells a parable as a story that, that proves a kingdom principle. And he tells all these parables, and there's more of them in Matthew than, than the other Gospels, that is proving kingdom principles. And a lot of the parables told by other rabbis and teachers oftentimes dealt more so with like royal courts and leadership. But the majority of Jesus' parables and stories dealt with everyday life. And so when we look in Matthew chapter 13, this is a very familiar parable for most of us. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Still other seeds, this is a third section, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he makes this statement, anyone with ears, let them listen. They should listen and understand. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. Um, most people there, I would say the majority of the people, guess what they had? They had ears. And so it's not just about ears, but it's, it's, it's having a heart to receive what is being said. Let us hear it. Let us take it into our heart. And then it will bear fruit and understand. Um, this is the first parable, but it's also really one of the easiest to understand uh, because Jesus actually goes on and explains it. Some of the other ones we, we kind of have to read and study, he doesn't explain it, but the disciples are like, that was, that was incredible, teacher. Can you, can you explain this to me? And he was like, well, if you can't get this, you're gonna have a hard time with everything else. So he, he, he breaks it down for them. And in Matthew 13, 19, he begins to, to give the description. Verse 19 says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message of the kingdom but don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches it away, the seed that was planted. This is representative of the hardened heart. It's representative of the hardened heart. And then, then he goes on and he, and he talks about, listen, the seed that fell on the shallow soil to where there was rock underneath um, it's representative of the shallow heart. And what happens with the shallow heart is, is it's different than the hardened heart. The hardened heart, the seed never soaks in, never settles in. And the shallow heart, the seed does settle in. It says it's, it's received with joy, 
but the sun comes, the burdens of life come, the desire for wealth comes, and so all this stress happens, and the little seedling that grew up because of the pressure wilts and it dies. And then he says, then a second seed, or the seed fell among the thorns, the third seed, represent those who hear God's word too quickly, and it's crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. Um, it's the first of the parable Jesus gives right after the sermon. So this is talking about a distracted heart that we receive God's word, but then we allow all these distractions, schedules and calendars and you know, other desires begin to choke out this message that we've received in our heart. And this is, the, the, the last one is the one that we wanna be. We don't wanna be the hardened heart. We don't wanna be the shallow heart. We don't wanna be the distracted heart. We want to be the receptive heart. And Jesus says, this is the good soil where the seed falls on, it takes root, it grows, it matures, and it doesn't just mature into a plant, but it is a plant that is now producing a harvest of 30, 60, to even 100 times. And when you, when you think about this parable, there are four different areas of the field that Jesus is talking about. And only a quarter of this field is producing a harvest. Only a quarter of it. That's, that was probably pretty common because you have all these different grades of soil. But what was not common was the harvest that Jesus is talking about. The common harvest percentage during this time, guys, was probably like somewhere between 85 to 10%. So that means if you plant 10 seeds, you're going to get your 10 back plus 8 more, right? But he's saying, look, it's 30, 60, even 100%. That means you're going to get 100% back plus 30% to 100% more on top. That's a good harvest. That's, that, like, that's a harvest not just for you, but a harvest that can be shared. And he's saying that's the power that the word of God has for us. And when you look at this, it kind of comes from two different perspectives. You can read it as a perspective of those who are hearing the gospel message for the first time. Those that are hearing the gospel message for the first time, whether it's, it's in a service, whether it's reading it for the first time, their, their heart is hardened because of just life experiences. They've been in abusive relationships. They've been let down by God. They've been let down by people. And so their heart is hardened and it just does not, like the gospel just kind of sits and then life happens and the enemy just steals it away. And then the shallow heart are those who, who make a really like strong commitment early on. And, and we know those people. Maybe you've been those people. You're on fire for Jesus until things get hard. And then, then we slip away, right? We backslide. Then it says this the distracted heart. People make a commitment to Christ. They give their life to Christ. But then family and sports and work kind of choke out the work that God's done in their heart. Um, and so a lot of times within the church, we can look at that just from a salvation perspective. But I think even more so for those of us who are walking with Christ and trying to be formed in his nature, we also look at that as a perspective as how is our hearts in receiving God's word in our life and his form formative work in our life to make us more like Christ. That even though you may be saved, even though we may be in relationship with Christ, our hearts can still be hardened and unable to receive the new word and the new work that God's wanting to do in our life through his word. 
And what I mean by that is sometimes we can be so bitter, we can be so jaded as Christians that we don't wanna hear anything else that will allow any kind of change to take place in our heart, okay? Is that we can be so hardened of heart that we don't allow God's word. We may be saved, but we're not gonna get the harvest of 30, 60, or 100 because our heart is hardened and the words that we're hearing or the words that we're reading are just sitting on top and then the enemy comes along and steals it before it has a chance to take root. And maybe even as a believer, we, we have this shallow heart to where we get excited. We receive it. Pastor talked about forgiveness. And man, I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna work and I'm gonna forgive everyone from here on out until we get hurt, we get offended, we get pressure. And then that word begins to wilt because the pressure and the heat of the sun. Maybe we make a commitment that we're going to be a part of our, our small group. We're going to be there every other week, every week. We're going to be at church every Sunday. We're going to read our Bible every single day. We're going to serve and serve faithfully. And we make all these commitments because of the word that we've read, we've been convicted by, that we've read, or maybe we've heard we've been convicted by. But then there's an opportunity for overtime. Um, we've got vacations coming up. We've Our kids are playing two or three sports. We've got like a new show on Netflix. I got to binge that so I can get it out of the way, right? That's my problem is like once I start, I was like, I just have to finish it so that I can be done with it, right? Instead of just being done with it, right? We, we, we allow distractions even as believers to choke out what the word of God is wanting to do in our life. And so what we have to do is there is a work that has to be done to cultivate within us this receptive heart. And it is a work. We partner with God on this. I'm a yard fanatic, and I talk about it, and I love it. And, like, I used to hate it. My dad used to make me, like, mow and weed eat. And I never understood. I was like, Dad, if, if we're having to mow all the time, why do we keep fertilizing? Like, just stop fertilizing, and we don't have to mow anymore. <laughs> like, that just makes common sense, right? And why do we do that? And so here's what I find myself doing. As an adult, is I'm fertilizing, I'm weed eating, I'm mowing, I'm watering, I'm, de- I'm doing all those things. But it's not really just the grass that I'm taking care of. It's not the grass that I'm taking care of. It's the soil that I'm taking care of. Because it is the condition of the soil that determines the harvest, not the condition of the seed. It's the condition of the soil that determines the harvest, determines the harvest, not the condition of the seed. Because when we look at it in terms of, of the word of God, which is the seed of the word of God, guess what? This seed is what? Good. This seed is nothing but good. Everything that you read in here is going to be good. And when it's planted, the seed doesn't, doesn't change. But what we have to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is we have to cultivate our heart to be able to receive the seed because it's the condition of the soil, not the condition of the seed that determines the harvest. And so there are things that you have to be doing right now. One of our worship team members um, sentence, like, cause they know I'm like, I, I have a little wisdom on that as far as cultivating grass. And, and she was like, can you help us get green grass this summer? And I was like, no, I can't. Because if your yard needs work, your grass is probably not going to be green this summer. You're going to have to do the work this season so that your grass can be green next summer. 
It's like in my, I had some yellow spots in my yard last summer. I was like, I couldn't figure it out. So I measured the pH in my yard, <laughs> right? I, like, I got to figure this out. And so I bought this pH measure and I'm going around my yard in different places. And, and for Bermuda grass, it's supposed to be between four and six. Well, mine was like a one and a half, which means my yard is, my, my soil is super acidic and I have to put lime on it. Okay, it's a lot of work. <laughs> lime, yeah. But if I would have put lime on my yard last summer, it wouldn't have made any difference. So I went and bought a big bag of lime and I put the lime on my yard in October. And then again, a couple of weeks ago, because it takes about six months for it to dissolve and saturate into the soil. And so sometimes the word of God takes some time to dissolve and saturate in our hearts so that it's there for us when we need it six months later. Does that make sense? And so when we come to the word of God, I'm going to give you a plan next week. But if I don't help you cultivate your heart to receive that plan, then it's, 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 it's not going to do as good as if your heart's prepared. And so there's, I'm going to help you adjust your pH in your heart. Can I do that? Um, your, your pH in your heart. And these are some things. Um, Psalm 78, 72, it's not on the screen, but it's one of my favorite verses. It says he, he cared for them. Talking about David, he led them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. I want to help us cultivate that true heart, that receptive heart. Um, and and as, a, as a good pastor with a good sermon, um, these three points will rhyme, so you can remember them. Um, the first one is this, is we have to have a heart of anticipation, guys. Um, and by that is, is we need to be alert when we come to the Word of God, um, and we need to be expectant when we come to the Word of God. Um, you know, if whatever time that is for you, may not be first thing in the morning until you've had a pot of coffee, right? But you want to come to the Word of God alert and expectant. Expect to hear from God. Expect to hear from God when you read. And, and it may not be something grandiose and life-altering in that moment. That's what we have to realize, in that moment. But God is imparting something in you through his word that will alter, alter your life. Psalm 63 says, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek for you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. How do, like, how do we approach God's word? Do we approach it with anticipation? Or do we approach it with apathy? Or do we approach it with um, apprehension? Here's what I want. I want you to approach it with anticipation, with excitement. And not that fake it till you make it kind of thing, because that's not real. But trust God. It says he will give us the desire and the power, the will and the strength to do what pleases him. And so say just simply like, God, like we've all been there where, where you're praying at night and you're praying for God to help you stay awake so you can finish your prayer, right? This is, you can do the same thing like, God, I'm coming to your word. Build within me a desire and an anticipation and an expectancy for your word. And so we do that. We come with anticipation, but then we also need to come with, with, with a heart of preparation. And, and what does that mean? So we're preparing our heart. We're getting excited to come like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to receive from you. And so when we come, then we prepare our heart in preparation to receive. And that comes through worship and repentance, worship and repentance. And I even added another one this morning in prayer, um, also forgiveness, 
And so if you think of this, like anticipation is, if you think about it in agrarian terms, you're getting all your things together, knowing something great's gonna happen. Then the preparation is, is preparing the soil. It's tilling it, breaking up the hardness of our heart with worship and repentance and forgiveness. Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, Father, you know, uh, pray in heaven this way. Um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that, that have sinned against us. And so what we have to do within our own heart, because every one of us in this room, we've, we've been um, jaded and we've been bitter because of how people have offended us. And scripture actually even says, like, like, if you bring an offering before the Lord and you know someone has something against you, then you go and you make it right and then come back. It's the same thing when we come to God's word. We soften our heart, prepare our heart in forgiving those that are around us, but then also asking God, forgive us as well. And then this last thing is just coming to a time of worship. That's what I love, like singing with you guys and worshiping with you guys on a Sunday morning. I could have had like the crappiest week and the hardest weekend or whatever, and maybe even have some calluses on my heart because um, that's just life. Like, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Can we just settle that? But just coming into God's presence and um, worshiping with you guys, it just begins to break those things down. And actually, if you look, and I'm, I may butcher this, but if you look in the Old Testament, um, one of the names of the sons of Israel, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, one of their names, uh, I think it's the fourth son, his name was, was does anyone know? Judah. Judah. And it says, I named him Judah in, in praise. Judah means praised. And then when you look in the, the prophet Hosea, there's this obscure verse in Hosea 10, 11, And it's talking about Ephraim and, and Jacob. And it says, and Judah will plow. And if you think about that and, and put those two things together, and it may be out of context, but I, I like to think it's not, that nothing's coincidence. If, if Judah means praised, and then God says in Hosea, Judah will plow, guess what praising in our life does? It plows up the hardness of our heart to receive God's word. So there's anticipation and preparation. And all of that is great, but then we have to do the application part. We have to do the application part because if not, it's just it's sitting there. And so when, when farmers would farm in, in this context and time, it could be done one of two ways. And a lot of times it was done, so they would plow the ground and then the farmer would come and sow the seed and the seed would just kind of sit on top. But then you know what they would do after that? They would come and drag a board or a limb across to bury and to settle the seed into the ground. Or they would replow the ground to settle the seed into the ground. That's what application is for us. That when we read and hear God's word and it calls us to do something, it is a second plowing, this application in James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 um, this is Jesus' brother actually writing this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For you listen to the word and don't obey. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, the perfect word of God that sets you, what does it do? It sets you what? Free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So it's, it's listen church, it's not just about hearing it. It's not just about reading it, but it's about applying it to our life to see it take root and bear fruit in our lives. And so my challenge for us, for you, for me, said this, that for 2023 would be the best year of our life. It would be the best year, but it's only going to be the best year of your life if it's your best year spiritually, and it's only going to be your best year spiritually if you spend more time in God's word than you have in the past. And I read this quote by R.T. Kendall. It says, we become Christ-like according to the measure with which we permit the word of God to prevail over us. So we have a responsibility. It's to how much Christ is formed within us. The Holy Spirit does some work. We have some work. We partner together and we become more Christ-like. So I'll say this again. Don't just listen to this sermon on a Sunday, but take it on Monday. If you go to ouravenuechurch.com slash sermons, you can download a PDF for discussion and further study. You can text the word Avenue Connect to 97,000, download a PDF. I'll even put it on Instagram this afternoon so that you have it because I don't want you just to hear and read the word of God and walk away from it, but I want you to hear or read the word of God and walk away and do something with it so that we can bear fruit in our lives 30, 60, 100 times, guys. But that fruit is not a greater um, bank account. That fruit is not just a greater position at your job. That fruit in your life is not a greater ministry opportunity. That fruit in your life is the formation of Christ's character in you. Then everything else is a blessing on top of that. And so that's my challenge every week. Let's get into the Word of God. Let's get in the Word of God. Let's get in the Word of God. Because I believe it will change you, it will change us, and it will change our city and talked about it in, in our prayer time this morning and I don't know how many of you on Instagram have seen the awakening that's going on at Asbury College in Kentucky it's just this great outpouring of the spirit of God um, and it's the simple things that has drawn that a receptive heart and the word of God if you go back and listen to the sermon it wasn't some flashy sermon by Stephen Furtick or Mark Driscoll or any of those guys it was just a humble, just a humble person that brought a solid word, but then it was hungry hearts that received that word and then just didn't receive it, but they nurtured it, they cultivated it, and for the last two and a half weeks, it's been an outpouring where people are driving all across, flying all across the world actually to be there. And it's not, listen to me, it's not what was taking place that drew God's presence there. It was the hearts of those who were there that drew God's presence there. And so it's my desire for you to have a heart to receive God's word, 
be obedient to God's spirit. So can we pray together? Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you uh, so much for your word. God, I thank you that maybe for some of us who we've we've been doing this church thing for a while and we go through our routines and Sometimes we take this opportunity, God, to to hear from you um, for granted that we keep appointments in all the other areas of our life, but we settle uh, to keep an appointment with you to just the bare minimum. God, I just pray that you would cultivate in us, God, that you would give us the desire and give us the strength God, just to have a heart that yearns for you, that anticipates to hear from you, to speak into our lives, to lead us, to guide us, to transform us through the power of your word. God, even when the feeling is not there, that our commitment would still be there, that the foundational work is its not sexy, it's not fun, it's not cool at times, it's It is work, but God, that we would do that to build our life on you and your word. And God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, or maybe they're a Christian, but but they don't know you like they should, I pray that right where they're seated, um, you're stirring their spirit, God, you're stirring their heart to draw them into a relationship with you or into a closer relationship they don't know where to start and what to say, that they just simply start with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. I want to live for you. Show me how to live for you. That whatever those words look like between you and them, God, that, that you just invade their heart, invade their spirit, surround them with your love. God, strengthen them from the inside out strengthen us from the inside out. God, go with us tomorrow that we put into into work what we've learned about today. God, trusting that you're working in us and through us in our lives, our family and community.